Happy Sabbath, everyone. I bring you greetings from Southern California. Some of you would know uh, Pastor Curtis Fox, one of my good friends, um, who is at our church in Mount Rubido in Riverside, and sends his greetings as well. Um, uh, he, I guess he did all his training and pastoral work initially here on the island of Trinidad. Um, since the hour is late, let's get right into God's word tonight. And I want to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Mark. The book of Mark, the ninth chapter. And we're going to start with verse 14. Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 14. And I want to thank my good friend, uh, Dr. Norman McNulty, for inviting me down. My first trip to Trinidad. Um, my parents are from the island of Jamaica. I was born in the States, in fact. Some of you are cricket fans might know um, my brother, Courtney Walsh, um, who used to be the captain of the West Indian cricket team. And I just saw him a few weeks ago. Our father died, and um, I gave the sermon for or the eulogy for the funeral. Um, so keep me in prayer as I work with him that he would come to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. Amen. Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 14. One of my favorite Bible stories. The Bible says in Mark 9, 14, And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto you my son, which has a dumb spirit. And whithersoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. Jesus answers and says unto them, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. Our message tonight is entitled, a faithful generation, a faithful generation. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to come together on this, your Holy Sabbath day. We thank you, Lord, for the backdrop of this beautiful uh, campsite on this beautiful island. And Lord, most of all, we thank you for being such a beautiful God. We just ask right now, Lord, that you would fill this room with your Holy Spirit. And that Father God, Eric Walsh would not be heard tonight, but instead, we would hear a message from the throne room of grace. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus had separated from the disciples. He had sent them down. And as the disciples are down by themselves, a man approaches the disciples who has a son. And the son has had a problem in that the son has been possessed by a demon. The demon has taken over the child. And the manifestation of this possession is that the boy cannot speak and he cannot hear. And the way the Bible describes this, he doesn't just have a problem with his speech and his hearing. He also has uh, what we would call like an epilepsy as well. So the father is so concerned for his son that he has heard about Jesus and his disciples, the fact that miracles are wrought in this group. And so the father takes his son and brings them, brings his son to them. When he gets the disciples, Jesus is not there. And so because the disciples had worked miracles early in their ministry, he comes to them and he expects that the disciples can work the miracle to heal his son. That was not, let me, let me make this point clear, not 
an outrageous expectation. In fact, if you have spent time with God, when you pray, things ought to happen. The problem with a lot of Christians is we've spent time with God and have no power. Did you know even Judas worked miracles? So the Bible isn't, it isn't a crazy thing for this man to come towards the disciples and expect a miracle. So he comes and when he gets to the disciples, they couldn't work the miracle. And of course, uh, the enemies of Jesus jump on his disciples. And Jesus finds them questioning. And look how Jesus defends the disciples. Verse 16, he says, he says unto the scribes, what question ye with them? The man steps out and says, I've brought my, my, uh, unto, them, unto thee my son, which has a dumb spirit. And wherever this spirit takes him, he, he tears him and he, he foams and gnashes with his teeth and pines away. And I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out and they could not. Jesus has answered to him. He says, oh, faithless generation. Now, let me ask you a hard question. Who's faithless? Is it the man that Jesus is calling faithless? Is it the disciples that he's calling faithless? What about the scribes? Could he be saying that the scribes are faithless? Did you know that Jesus has one form of kryptonite? How many of you all watch? You know Superman, right? You know Superman has, there's like a, he has a weakness. It's kryptonite. Did you know that Jesus had a kryptonite? Jesus' kryptonite when it came to working miracles was if he was surrounded by people who didn't believe. You remember when he went to his own town and they didn't believe and the scripture says because of their faithlessness he could not work many miracles there? In fact, faith is the, is the quintessential key to being a Christian. It is faith. It is the glue. In fact, many people have put the cart before the horse and worry about how they live before they worry about how they believe. Because you won't get into heaven because of what you did. You'll get into heaven because of how you believed. How you believe will then determine how you live. But if you first say, I'm going to live right without the belief, without the faith, without the relationship with God, you make, yourself, you make for yourself an impossible journey. So here it is that Jesus says they're faithless. And, and in reality, he, he wasn't very happy with his disciples because his disciples were supposed to have enough faith to work the miracle. Jesus says, how long shall I be with you? Understanding that Jesus, Jesus understood he wasn't going to be with them forever. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. Verse 20 says, and they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, the, the little boy sees Jesus, straightway the spirit tears him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. Now, let's get this straight. Now, the little boy has got a demon in him. The, the solution is to bring the little boy to who? So as they bring the little boy to Jesus, what happens? The spirit, the demon does what? He acts up. Did you know that every time you make a move towards Jesus, the enemy is going to act up in your life? Did you know that every time you say, oh, you know what, I'm going to step closer to Jesus. I'm, I'm going to ask Jesus to solve my problems. I'm going to ask Jesus to take away this secret sin. I'm going to ask him to change my desires, my appetites, whatever it is. I'm going to come to Jesus with my problems. As you begin to come to Jesus, did you know that the enemy flares up? 
There's nothing. Now let's talk about the devil's kryptonite. The devil is very afraid of even the weakest saint who approaches Christ. There's great fear that the enemy has and that any one of us will begin to live our lives and in, in our lives be moving towards Christ. You know what happens when you move towards Christ? A lot of stuff begins to happen. One of the things that happens is as you move closer to Christ, you realize how imperfect you are. The closer you get to Christ, the more you realize you're not right with God. And so as you, you know, you might get victory. You say, you know what, I gave up, I gave up, um, you know, gambling. Let me use gambling. I'm, I'm sure nobody here gambles. So let me use gambling. Y'all don't gamble on those cricket games. I know you don't. Um, so as you move closer to Christ, the gambling becomes, you can't gamble. You give up gambling. And if you're not careful, you stop moving towards Christ and you think you gained a victory and you think you're saved. But if you take another step towards him, you realize that Jesus said, but you know what, you still gossip. Do you know gossiping isn't good? Yes. You know how many churches are torn apart by gossip? Yes. And he says, well, so you take another step. But if you don't keep moving towards him, those things in your life that need to come out don't show up. Because if you turn away from Christ and start moving in the other direction, you'll get self-righteous. In fact, we are warned that we should never compare ourselves to other people. Did you know that? Because if you compare yourself to other people, two things are going to happen. One is you're going to look at people who you think are worse sinners than you are and think you're all right with God based on how bad they are and how good you think you are. And guess what? That has nothing to do with your relationship with Christ. And you're, or you're going to look at people who you think are perfect and pious and you're going to think, you know what? I could never get to their level. So guess who's the only person you're supposed to look to? Because Jesus isn't just your example, he's your sustainer. He doesn't just set the standard, he gives you the power to live the standard. In fact, the scripture says it like this, it is, and we learned this in Pathfinders, how I many were Pathfinders? In Pathfinders we say, it is the love of Christ that constraineth us. Did you know you cannot live a godly life if it is not by the power of the love of Christ? And unfortunately, we got so many preachers now that preach that all you need is love and they don't preach any requirements anymore. You can just, it's just love, all is love. But they don't understand that Christ's love comes with the price tag that his love should also constrain you. So if you're living in Christ's love, his love ought to give you the power to live differently. The boy falls on the ground, he starts foaming. Verse 21, and he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said of a child, Jesus is a good doctor, he takes a history. Did you know in medicine, when, we, when, we, when I was in medical school in the University of Miami, they taught me, they said, 90% of all diagnosis can be made by a good history and physical. Physical exam, 90%. Jesus is the great physician. You notice, before he does anything, he begins to ask questions. He wants to build a relationship. The problem many of us have when we see other people in sin is we jump on the sin and don't build a relationship first. Did you know, I just found siblings that I had. My father had other children, and, at the, and, I, and I found some siblings I didn't know. And did you know that they weren't living for Christ? You know, before I tried to teach them the Bible or the gospel or about Adventism, you know what the first thing I made sure to do with them is? Build a relationship. Amen. You ever like somebody you don't know walking up to you telling you what to do? Yeah. Church folk like to do that, though. They don't know somebody from Adam. Run up on them and just start yelling at them. Just... Yeah. 
What you got on? How you coming to church looking like, you know, you Beyonce's stepsister? <laughs> but what I've learned is that Jesus built relationships. Read the miracles. He talked to people. He related to people. He came down to people's level. And he, he built relationships. He dealt with sin outside. Look at the woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus gets on the ground where she is to write the sins of those men in the sand. How long ago is it since it came unto him? The father says, uh, says uh, uh, of a child. In fact, much of our sin problem is developed when we're just little children. Did you know that? In fact, this is why the spirit of prophecy in Ellen White talks about the importance of how we raise our children, what we feed our children, what they're exposed to. We have our children watching sometimes violent and, and sexually graphic materials, listening to music like that. And then there people are surprised when their children grow up and want to fight folk. It came uh, uh, as a child, and, and, and I wish I had time. I don't have time this weekend, but I do seminars on this. I want to submit to you that some of us have signed our children over to the enemy because we'll sit them in front of TV to watch yeah. Disney and all this other stuff, and you watch this stuff, and it's just magic and violence yeah. and sexual innuendos. Yeah. It started as a child, and, and I want to speak to the importance of the family dynamic because who's missing from the story you notice that it's just a father and a son where's this child's mother I want to submit to you that the devil will try and destroy the church by destroying the family we don't talk about that enough in church anymore he will try and get our young people to be impure sexually, get you sexually active before you're married because the devil understands that if you become sexually active before you're married, when you get married, uh, it's much more difficult to stay married with the more sexual experience you had before you were married. He begins to destroy you before you even get, he, the devil wants to destroy your marriage before you even find your wife or your husband. is what he's going to come after and, and a lot of us we, we get down some of the other nuts and bolts of, 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 of Christianity but we actually don't have a family that we love verse 22 and oftentimes it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him but if look at the man's question this is the father now pleading father but if you can do anything he says have compassion on us and help us that's what I call a, 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 you know, a, a desperation prayer. You know, like in basketball, when they just take the ball at the buzzer and just throw the thing all the way across the court to just hoping that maybe the ball will go in the basket. And some of us, our prayers are prayers of desperation. They're not prayers of faith. This man did not really believe Jesus because his question is, if it starts on the premise that Jesus might not be able to do it. And how many of us come to Jesus in an if prayer? Did you know that if is the biggest word in the English language? It's only two letters, but if is a huge word. You put if in front of something and you can change reality into fantasy and fantasy into reality. When he says if, he actually questions Jesus. You know the only other person to ask Jesus an if question in the New Testament is Satan himself? If you are the son of God, Turn these stones into bread. Don't come at God with ifs. Come to God understanding that he can. Amen. You better come to God believing that he can. Faith 
is quintessential. So what happens? He says, if you can do uh, anything, uh, have compassion on us and help us. Did Jesus already have compassion? It was an insult in a sense. If you can do anything, have compassion. You're speaking to the man who created the boy. Verse 23 says, and Jesus says unto him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. Jesus said, hold on, man. You put the ball in my court. The ball's not in my court. I've got the power to do it. Do you have the faith to believe it can be done? Let me tell you, there are a lot of very weak Christians walking around because they don't actually believe that God can do what they need done. Jesus turns the question, and I want you to step out of the story for a second. This is a desperate father. His son is on the brink, on the brink of death many times. His son is in trouble. It's clear, and the father's worried. But I want you to step away from the father for a second, and I want Jesus to ask you the question. Jesus is asking you tonight if you can believe. But I want you to ask yourself, can you really believe? Do you really believe in God? We've been battling in Southern California, and, I, and I'm not speaking for or against one of our universities there, but we've been having the battle because it, it, there are people in some of our institutions who do not believe in a six-day creation. Let me say that I can say that because I can, they happily take the microphone and tell you. Belief in God is not as automatic in the church as you might think. There are people who come to church simply because it's their tradition. It's their culture to be Seventh-day Adventist. They like potlucks. You, you, you get what I'm saying? They like getting the seventh day of the week off. But they don't really believe, and I need you to get this because some of you will struggle with whether or not you believe. And I'm telling you, uh, like it's happened to me as I've, as I've buried loved ones, especially my mother, even myself, was, I was beat down by the enemy and I began to question God. And I submit unto you, it's easy to believe when everything's going right. When you get the news that your loved one has been diagnosed with a terminal, fatal cancer. When you get the news that, that, that someone who needed the job didn't get it or, or had the job and lost it. Uh, when you get into the, the critical mass and the trouble of life, sometimes that's when people start to disbelieve. So I'm asking you tonight, do you believe? Why is that such an important question? because it's deeper than whether or not this boy is healed. In fact, righteousness is by what? Because the scripture says the just shall live by. The reason is many of us have come to Jesus and we're fighting the wrong fight. I'm gonna say that again. We've come to Jesus fighting the wrong fight. I read this from Morris Venden, one of his, one, in Morris, one of our Pastor Morris Venden's books. And Morris Venden says it like this. He says, many of us are fighting the fight of works instead of fighting the fight of faith. And the reason that's a problem is because when you read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Now, why is that important? Because if you don't have the faith and you try to fight your sins, you're going to lose every single time. And what a lot of us do is we fight the fight of works. And we say, all right, I'm going to grit my teeth and I'm going to live better. 
If I just try harder, I'll live better. Let me submit to you, you, you don't have enough willpower to defeat the enemy and sin in yourself. So we fight the fight of works. And then guess what happens? When you lose, when you go back to gambling on cricket, they are, you ain't have to say amen on that one. Well, when you go back to chasing girls, when you thought you stopped, when you go back to drinking, when you go back to whatever it was, when you fall, you think it's because you can't do right. You, you, you quintessentially, you move away from God. And you think God has failed you and you have failed God. And what the devil really wants from you is to break the connection, the relationship between you and Christ. And he will use your failures as evidence you're not connected to Christ. And in your discouragement, you'll walk away from the church. That's why a lot of people walk away from the church because they're, not, they're fighting the wrong fight. But when you fight the fight of faith, what you say to Jesus is, and I heard a man preach this, is he was a drinker and a smoker, and he came out of all of that, gained victory over his addiction, and the man said that one Sabbath morning, he's preaching in the pulpit when he told the story, he went out on his, on, on his balcony with a cigarette in one hand, his coffee in his cup, and a little liquor bottle ready to pour into the coffee. And he sat out on the porch and he said, God, I give up. This is the best I can do. But I believe you can do better. That was the last cigarette he had. That was the last day he drank alcohol. I drank caffeine, the man said. When he finally said, I've done the best I can do, you are the only one that can do better. God gave him victory. Because a lot of us are fighting the fight of, of works. And what Jesus wants you to do is fight the fight of faith. How do you fight the fight of faith? Study God's word. You pray. You fellowship. You go out and you do service. You spend time with God. You spend time in service. When you do that and you fight the fight of faith, what happens is you build relationship with God and the love of Christ then does what? It constrains you. He says in verse 24, now Jesus, of course, in verse 23, says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. In verse 24, the father answers uh, back and says, uh, with tears, the father begins to cry. He says, Lord, I believe, help thou my what? Unbelief. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Many of us are just like this father. We believe and don't believe at the same time. And I want to submit to you, uh, as, as is hinted to in the spirit of prophecy, that this is a critical prayer. In fact, if you pray this prayer, it is very difficult, if not impossible, to be lost. If you're willing to admit to Christ that you're struggling not just with sin, but with belief, and ask God to take the measure of faith that you've been given and strengthen it, he will do it. He says, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Jesus says, and when Jesus saw, verse 25, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. So he rebukes the spirit. Verse 26 says, and the spirit cried and rent the boy's sore and came out of him. And the boy was as one dead, the Bible says. In so much that they said, the people said, many of them said, he is dead. They said, look, Jesus took the demon out and he's dead. But look at verse 27. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Let me tell you something. When you have an experience with Christ, something ought to die. Your selfishness, your pride, your arrogance ought to die. They said he looks dead. Death is a part of the process. And it's not physical death. It's the death of self. 
The boy, Jesus reaches out his hand, the boy gets right back up. Verse 28, this is the good part. Verse 28 and 29. Verse 28, and when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? The disciples are, wait a minute, you cast him out, we couldn't cast him out. How come you could cast him out? Weren't we making, doing miracles a little while ago? Why, why couldn't we do this miracle? Jesus says in verse 29 something that I want to leave you with tonight. Because I want you to be a faithful generation. He says, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Let me submit to you that there's some stuff, young people, that you're going to go through. That the solution to the problem is so, the problem is so serious that the solution is prayer and fasting. See, while the disciples were down there arguing and trying to cast out the, little, the demon, Jesus was in a position of prayer. In fact, Jesus was such a praying man that the spirit of prophecy tells us that his, his knees the skin around his knees were worn, they were thickened by the time he spent on his knees. I want to submit to you tonight that you fight the good fight of faith and use the weapons of prayer and fasting. You want to be transformed, that's the theme? Transform yourselves by spending more time in prayer with Christ. And then sacrificing those things. Now, sometimes we think fast and we think food. I submit some of you ought to fast from listening to secular music. Fast from some of the television programming you're watching. Fast from some of the stuff that is giving the devil a direct conduit into your life and into your mind. Because some things come only by prayer and fasting. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord that you've given us this opportunity to look at your word. And we just ask tonight, Lord, that you would continue to bless us. Lord, there are young people here tonight that struggle, are struggling with many things, and I don't know what they are, Lord. But like that father who came to you only half believing, full of desperation, Father God, tonight, we understand that if we can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. This weekend, Lord, let our, our faith be strengthened so that we would build a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.